Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. Happy Aloha Friday, everybody. Dave Kawada filling in for Kanoa Leahy on Let's Talk Sports, taking you into the weekend. And, you know, there's University Wide Football on the Road at Nevada. First time, right? Uh, Timmy Chang's going back to where he came from. They beat Nevada last season. He's going to kind of go back to where he came from. You know, I, I'm wondering, you know, do they do a little, not a big thing. He wasn't like a head coach, but you know, welcoming. And here's another element of, you know, the, the how do you want to put it? The atmosphere of a coach going back to where he is to add to the elements of this matchup. Um, they came here. We made the thing about, oh, this is the team he played for. Not exactly the coach there anymore because that coach, head coach that he was under went over to Colorado State. So there wasn't that part. But, you know, Timmy coming back, I'm sure there at Nevada, they're saying about how he was, you know, his career there, so forth and so on. So the added pressures, if you will, of the opponents that you play and what comes of with it. They beat Hawaii beat Nevada last season. Can they do it now on the road? And you add in all the layers of how Hawaii football has struggled on the road the past couple, this season and last season. So another element there that comes with college football. So we look forward to that. And on those lines, uh, later today, we're going to talk with former University of Hawaii player Gerald Welch, who uh, not only is from St. Louis, but played very well with University of Hawaii. And there, throughout the season, from going into this season and currently, it's been about you know the offense, the run and shoot. Uh, Timmy Chang is the play caller now, and he's tweaked it from the offense they had last season. The run and shoot is back. And you hear varying elements of this offense. And with the struggles the team has had, naturally more things come about that come with it. You know, is it the offense to run? Is Shager the quarterback to run it? Still learning. Um, we've heard John Veneri saying that, you know, you're still learning. This is a new offense from last year. So it's not like year two of a system. It's year one of learning something new. So the team is still learning. And you hear about, you know, it's it's not the easiest thing to operate. You know, there's a lot more of a connection that you got to have with quarterback receiver. You've got to be on the same page more so than maybe a diff- other type of offense. You know, I'm one of those that I want to kind of ask these questions, but with people that really know it, that ran it, that did it, and had to learn it, and had to go through the hardships of the learning curve. But then also seeing how different quarterbacks, he was, Gerald Welch was a slot back, you know, he had to learn it for himself. Then you got to be on the same page with different receivers, and then you had to work with different quarterbacks. So Gerald Welch, I'm going to do a little Q&A and let's get dig deep a little bit more into the run-and-shoot offense and get more of that learning and player development perspective on that whole thing. So that's going to be fun. Um, I wanted to start off today's show with a little bit of this. Did you see or did you read, if you went to ESPN.com, there's an article there about a lawsuit against the NCAA. Oh, well, surprise, surprise. And that seems to come about here and there, but it's related to the NIL. And, you know, as new as this concept is and as controversial as it is and all the things that pop up, I was kind of waiting for an issue 
that hits a gray area. And I think this one hits a gray area. So it's related to college basketball. There's these twin brothers, Matt and Ryan Bewley, who signed with Chicago State. Not exactly a powerhouse in college basketball, but these are former five-star prospects. But before they signed to play with Chicago State, they played with this organization called Overtime Elite Academy. And here's where the gray area comes in. So here's this academy, and apparently they promoted themselves as kind of another opportunity for players, particularly on the high school level, to kind of develop and get into the NBA, you know, raise their stock, so to speak. Um, You know, college is one way. Here is another way, uh, Overtime Elite Academy. So they played with these guys. They They signed a contract. They got a compensation. But when they signed with Chicago State, they were deemed ineligible to play college basketball. So in a nutshell... What the NCAA said, well, here's a deal. Our rules with NIL, you can, you know, obviously profit from your name, image, and likeness. But when you sign a contract to play, they played with Overtime Elite Academy with an organization that had other professionals. Because Overtime Elite Academy had really kind of promoted themselves as a professional organization. They paid their players to play. And then I think after a year, they changed kind of how they signed players where you could play for them, get compensated, but it was deemed scholarship or financial aid. So here they are taking advantage of an NIL element in which, yeah, trying to keep your eligibility to play college basketball. We're going to change your compensation instead of salary to financial aid or scholarship to support potential playing in the um, on a college team. So that was a change. And here's what, you know, the lawyers for the NCAA said, look, this is how it was, but, you know, here's a gray area now. So on the player's side, filing the lawsuit, so Matt and Ryan Bewley, their attorneys are saying, we signed under that scholarship financial aid agreement. These two guys, they signed under that. But then the NCA countered back and said, okay, we have some rules related to how um, you, the players could sell their NIL and name, image, and license and get some compensation. But their compensation needs to be, quote, unquote, reasonable to cover uh, expenses, so to speak, in terms of you know, their living expenses. So, I mean, I didn't dig into all of that. So this, I'm just going by the article. So... Here's that. That's the really the juggernaut word, reasonable. So that's I, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking this is where the gray area that's going to be argued here. What is reasonable? The NCA will look at this and say, what is reasonable? And they came back with a dollar figure saying it was reasonable that the compensation for these two players should have been X amount to cover their expenses. Apparently, these two players got more than that because you figured in that while they were playing with this Overtime Elite Academy, they got their meals taken care of. They got, obviously, transportation taken care of. So factoring those in, other expenses, those are big chunks, right? You're, they got their room and board kind of like compensated. Um, so what was deemed reasonable? So that's the gray area now. So although 
the players' attorneys are saying, hey, they have they sold their name, image, and likeness to get compensation to be part of this academy, and they received X amount. That X amount is being argued by the NCAA saying this is more than what is, quote-unquote, reasonable. And here is that shoe of the gray area hitting. And anytime you have something new, there's going to be a lot of gray areas that pop up because anything with new, you got to find, people are going to find loopholes. They're going to try and create angles. And then the other side going to have to argue it or say, or change how they write rules or policies. And here's one of them. So definitely you're going to see more of that. And I would think there's going to be elements when you think about college baseball because there are these academies out there. You hear a lot of it with basketball where now that, you know, NBA, especially NBA will draft players out of high school or one year out or whatever. So there's all of these other angles upon which a young high school prospect can say, well, I have now other ways to get to the NBA. I don't have to go through college. I don't have to play development league, here's another opportunity. And where do all the rules of college eligibility still fit in? And that's going to be the thing that everybody's going to be figuring out. So we'll watch this one to see how this one goes and see how... And you know what really kind of stuck out? Chicago State. So the attorneys for um, these two players, Matt and Ryan Bewley, who tried to become eligible with Chicago State, one of their arguments they point out is... They brought out some other situations. Now, they're not apples to apples, but they're somewhat similar. But they involved, um, as I'm looking here, Kansas, uh, Kentucky, excuse me. And I think another one was Stanford, but power five schools. And so part of the argument is, well, how come you can't, NCAA can't pick and choose what they want to suddenly say you're ineligible for. And they brought up those cases. Is it because, oh, those are power five and therefore, if we de- denied eligibility for those players, they'd have to go up against a more resourceful organization in Kentucky or Stanford, whoever it is, versus this is Chicago State and there's less resources there. And we heard that argument even when you put penalties on certain schools for recruiting violations. It seemed like, oh, they would really get down on smaller schools, but when it was the big ones... Uh, you know, it kind of got passed over. And one of the big ones that they actually really hammered down on was USC with the whole Reggie Bush thing. But they're, they're farther and fewer in between those versus a lot of smaller schools get really hit on, hit hard on. So here's another one where they're kind of bringing up that, oh, you, you pick on the small guys. Whereas here's an example of some situations that are similar with some of the big guys, the big schools. But, oh, they got okayed. So... You know, how dare you and say you pick on us, but then you let them go. So another lawsuit to follow, a gray area in the, all the world of NIL. We'll see how all of that kind of rolls out and see if these kids play. And maybe some other gray area is going to pop out. I'm sure there are. Anything with new, anything that's new brings up gray area. So we'll follow that on. All right, we're going to take a timeout. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the run and shoot with Gerald Welch, someone who knows. By the way, if you want to upgrade your island style with Kahala, the original Aloha shirt since 1936, pick one up for yourself at one of Kahala's six stores island-wide or at kahala.com. Let's take a timeout. Dave Kawada filling in for Kanoa. This is Let's Talk Sports on ESPN Honolulu. 
win $1,000 cash grand prize and $100 weekly prizes in ESPN Honolulu's Pigskin Picks, brought to you by M. Dyer Global and Young's Fish Market. Visit ESPNHonolulu.com right now to register. We're going to talk some football with the University Wide Football taking on Nevada tomorrow, 8 a.m. countdown to kickoff and the game at about 10 a.m. Hawaii time. And it's the run and shoot. I always wanted to really dig in a little bit more about that just to get a little bit more of that behind-the-scenes element to it. So joining me right now, who has played for the University of Hawaii in the run and shoot, played at St. Louis with the run and shoot, Gerald Welch joining us. Hey, Gerald, how's it going? It's been awesome, Dave. Thanks for having me on, man. Now, you are also, I think you're still a teacher at St. Louis and teaching kindergartners. How's the kiddos? You, you know what? This year, they, they put me out of the classroom, oh. but I do miss them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was in the kindergarten classroom for a bunch of years, and I loved every minute of it. And I kind of miss it now, but, you know, I'm focused on athletics right now, just doing the athletic director deal here at St. Louis School. So it's been pretty busy. Oh, I, I can imagine. We're going to talk a little, about, a little bit about St. Louis football a little bit later. But, okay, so I really wanted to dive a little bit into the run-and-shoot offense since, you know, that's, that's the thing, you know. And I want to ask, okay, for someone who played it, learned it, developed in it, played it, executed it, for a layman like me, how would you describe the run-and-shoot offense? It's pretty complicated, you know, I, I, you have to run it for quite some time in order to to get a good feel for it. You, I don't think you're ever going to master it because things change all the time. But I, I think the offense, it, it can be a little bit dynamic in, in certain ways. But it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of patience. And, and you know, as these guys at the University of Hawaii or any school that runs it, you know, it's going to, it's going to take some patience um, with the coaches, the players, and, and anybody that's, that's around it. So if if you're looking at generally how to describe here's here's how I would describe it. So I would say, right, there's four receivers. The quarterback is working with a single back in shotgun. Um, the receivers are running routes and reading how the defense is set up. Similarly, the quarterback is reading the defense, knowing how where his receivers are, where they're positioned in the formation. If it's you know three receivers on the right or balanced. And then you're reacting, and the routes are determined by how the defense is. Is that kind of the layman's way to kind of describe that? Yes, the, the defense totally uh, determines what we do on offense, you know. And I, and I think a quarterback, he has a tough gig. He got to check his pre-snap read, meaning how does the defense line up before the ball is snapped, you know, how many safeties they got, who, who's got the flats, and, you know what, what what coverage they got. You know, there's a lot of different coverage, man, zone. So, you know, some of the things that you talk about, you know, during man coverages, you're going to keep running, right? You're not going to sit anywhere. You're not going to find. As far as zone is concerned, you kind of you don't want to keep running. You want to find the holes, the pukas that the defense has. So there's a different dynamic to, to different coverages. So it, it, it can be complicated. We're talking with Gerald Welch, uh, former University of Hawaii slot back receiver, also played at, had a great career at St. Louis School, now on the athletic administration over at St. Louis School. Now, what was the hardest thing for you to get? In high school, it wasn't very difficult. We ran it seventh grade, you know, eighth grade. 
intermediate level, JV, and then onto the varsity. But when you get to the college level, it, it it got substantially harder. You know, you you got faster people, you got guys that that are better than you or just as good as you um, on defense, and you know, they they disguise their coverages a lot more. Um, so. You know, the difficult part was, was just getting used to the speed and getting used to the college the college players and, and college coverages. So it, 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 that's where I saw the, the biggest difficulty was, you know, going from the high school level to the college level. So, uh, But, you know, we, we watched a lot of film, worked hard together in the offseason, and, and we, we developed a... a, a you know, the chemistry that you need for, for this type of off- offense to succeed. So, yeah, so just going from the high school level to the college level, that was the difficult part. And so when you, you just were saying about how you need to process or mentally process that as a receiver, you're looking at the, the defense and you have to read how they react to what your formation is. A quarterback has to do the same thing. And suddenly if you, on the college level, that speed of processing accelerates. And so... I'm thinking then, like sometimes in this season, we've seen university-wide games where Shager will throw a ball and there's no receiver there. And then so if you're a fan, you're going, oh my God, how could he have thrown where no one was there? But if I'm listening to you now, it, 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 there's actually multiple steps that could have led to that, right? Either the receiver read something, saw something differently and cut his pattern off and the quarterback saw something differently from the receiver and then thought, the opposite, and therefore release the ball, and suddenly it becomes in an area where no one's there. Is that about? Could be kind of the, the possible summary on that. Yes, totally. I, you know, they have to be on the same page. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They have to, you know, make the right reads. They 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 got to communicate. You know, and, and I think a lot of that comes in the off season and developing that the, the chemistry and the timing. So I definitely think that. You know, especially those those interceptions you threw a couple of weeks ago where there was nobody in the end zone, only had two or three defenders there. It, it was a breakdown in communication. It, there, there's no other way to describe it because, you know, if, if the corner's coming off, the, the, the receiver's going to sit. Or if the corner's sitting, he's, the, the receiver has to go. So I think it was a definite, definite breakdown in communication and, and not being on the same page. Gerald Walt joining us uh, from University of Hawaii Slotback. Now, you are good buddies <laughs> with Timmy Chang. And, you know, do you – I know it's in season, so you're busy as heck because it's in season for football, a lot of stuff going on at St. Louis School. He's obviously very busy. He's in season. But during the season, do you guys touch bases at all? Yeah. I, you know, matter of fact, I've been going to uh, practices maybe once a week. I haven't done that in the last couple of weeks because we're kind of winding down our football season. But – we do also speak on the phone weekly. Uh, you know, I, I'm always there to encourage. And, you know, um, we always talk about the quarterback being able to get rid of the football fast and what I see from my end, just outside looking in. So, you know, I, and he listens. Uh, he's, he's a student of the game. He's, he's going to you know, listen to what we say. I mean, not necessarily do what we think we should do, but he, he, he'll listen and get some feedback. But, um you know, and I try to always be positive because we, I understand what what he has, the timing that, that he's been dealt with as far as, you know, only this year he took over the 
play calling duties and only this year they're installing the run and shoot. So it's going to take some time and, you know, I encourage the fans, everybody to, to give them, give them some, some slack for now, but you know, we, we hope to see it turn around like we did with Nick Rolovich, you know, he, he wasn't doing so, so hot with the run and shoot when he first came into the program, but at a certain point it just snapped and he, he, he kind of recognized things. And I think it, it, you got to trust what the coaches are doing. You know, Shager, you know, he got a bunch of interceptions, but he also has some bright spots, you know, and I think when he is successful, he trusts what the coaches are doing, you know, going backside, just not staying on the front side, but you see this coverage, just go backside and, and get rid of the ball quickly. I think those things are going to come with time and with trust with the coaches and just familiarizing himself with this offense over the next several months and into the offseason. I think that'll, that that will – really take him to the elite level. Like, I, I'm really good friends with Coach Brennan as well. You know, I mean, Coach Brennan. And when he was playing, he would come over to the house on the weekend and we'll, we'll discuss what he's seeing out there and what 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 made it tough for him and what what he was able to do and get rid of the ball quickly because he was able to dissect the offense, the defense, and get rid of the ball. But what made it tough was the di- disguising, you know, looking at the flat defender, you think this guy is going to take the flats, but he heads there, but he goes to, to a different location. So it really depends on the defense. And I mean, this offense has so much upside, but you gotta, you gotta be able to be on the same page and with with the receivers and the O line and the running back. So it's it, it's a lot more complicated than your normal smash mouth offense. But you know, I, I think it gives us an advantage, but we got to get to that point where where we're totally comfortable with what we're doing. We recognize the defense and, and know to go know where to go with the football before the ball is even snapped. Yeah, and and I hear you. And as you're as you're saying this, I think what goes overlooked was back in 1999 when June Jones first came. Dan Robinson was the QB. He had one year. And that was the biggest turnaround season, but one year of learning a brand new, complicated offense, and he was able to kind of pick it up. Like you just mentioned, Rolovich took a season, several games. I mean, Timmy had to adjust to the college game when he took over. Colt Brennan took a season to really understand it, but Dan Robinson picked it up pretty quickly. He had to. He was a senior. He didn't have any another year to learn, but I think we've got to give him some credit for picking it up pretty well. Hey, before we go... Tell, give us an update on St. Louis football. You know, um, you know the JV won the, the JV championship, intermediate, you know, kind of struggled this year. Varsity, we made progress, but we're not where we want to be right now. Um, same thing, you know, the fundamental things, not just the coverages, but also the fundamental things, catching the ball, throwing the ball accurately, you know, running the right routes. So once... You know, we get those fundamental things down. We, we definitely did it better than everybody else before. Now we're not at that point yet, but I, I hope we're headed in that direction where we're doing the fundamental things better. You know, like I said, the right reads, mm-hmm. running the routes, running after the catch, catching the ball. Because right now, even at UH, we're dropping some, you know, some wide open balls or, or, or running the wrong routes and things like that. So, once we get the fundamental things down back at St. Louis, we'll be right where we need to be, I feel. Um, but, you know, this year was we got better. I thought we got better on offense, but we got a ways to go. And, and uh, 
you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, looking forward to that and also looking forward to the improvement as we progress uh, as Hawaii is learning the run and shoot. Hey, Gerald, thanks so much for joining us on your lunch hour. Um, good luck for the rest of the academic year in athletics, and thanks again for giving some insight. All right, Dave, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Gerald Welch, former University of Hawaii player, a St. Louis star as well, now in athletics administration over at St. Louis School. We'll take a time out, come back. For more on Let's Talk Sports, Dave Kawada filling in. This is ESPN Honolulu. Hey, everyone. Catch UH and NFL football at 850 Craft Beer and Whiskey Bar at Leeward Bowl. Actually, I think it should be 850. Don't say 850. Anyway, 850 Craft Beer and Whiskey Bar at Leeward Bowl. They're open at 6 a.m. Sunday, showing all the NFL games. For Monday and Thursday night football, enjoy happy hour poo-poos from 4 to 7 p.m. daily. For Hawaii football games, they'll have awesome menu specials. 850 is the home of the new video wall and the place for UH College and NFL football. Speaking of UH football, we talked with Gerald Welch a little bit, but tomorrow... The game's at 10, but countdown to kickoff will be at 8 a.m. It'll be live at Big City Diner in Kailua, I believe Kailua. Yeah, But it's going to be the off-the-bench team that'll be the countdown to kickoff hosts, Josh Pacheco and Hunter Hughes. Uh, normal co-hosts, uh, Coach Arnold Martinez, not going to be there because he will be on the road on the mainland watching his son playing at Clemson take on Notre Dame. And... First of all, I just want to say, you know, there are excuses for why you can't work. And, I mean, isn't that kind of, is that for real? Hey, um, Josh, I can't come to do Countdown to Kickoff. Oh, why not? I'm going to go and watch Clemson versus Notre Dame. It's like um, I, I couldn't turn in my homework because the dog ate it. You know, oh, uh, uh, I feel a little sick. Oh, I have to go and watch Notre Dame and Clemson. Oh, like that's greater. Anyway, yeah, so you got to work on those excuses there. Um, personally, if Kanoa can't come, it's great for me. Because, as a, you know, if you're a pinch hitter like me where you can fill in and come in, you know, sometimes you, crucial moments that pinch hitter is called upon and gets that key hit for the game. I mean, it's an opportunity because you're sitting on the bench and, you know, you don't get much opportunities to play, so you're kind of at the end of the bench. But, boy, the star hitter goes goes down or can't make it, and then they have to, you know, they can't get in there because they're going to watch the Notre Dame-Clemson game. I go for it, man, because if I get to get up there and pinch and grab a bat, I'll be happy to come in and pinch it anytime. A um, little bit as I segue, perfect segue, into baseball talk. We ended the World Series, but I just want to give, uh, I guess you could say, a cheap plug if any of you have an opportunity to kind of get out of your comfort zone, you know, it's rare that people want to do it, but some of you have heard the musical Damn Yankees. It's a, you know, a Broadway musical since long time running and have had different um, renditions of it. You know, there's even been a musical movie long time ago done. So very known and long running popular musical Damn Yankees. Well, it's going to be showing over at the Castle Performing Arts and Learning Center. Uh, coming up, performances start November 10th, goes through the 19th, over at the Bright Theater at Castle High School. So if any Windward people, you definitely know this, but anyone anywhere in the realm of local performing arts and theater in particular, 
you know or have heard the name Ron Bright, who was a educator at Castle High School and got really known for developing his students to do these awesome plays and musicals. You know, so the theater is named after him and it still carries on. Well, talk about getting out of your comfort zone and maybe a little bit of my, oh, if I ever had the opportunity, I'm going to play a role in Damn Yankees. I get to be the role of the commissioner. It's a small part, small part, just a few lines but it's all students, so all the entire cast is students and predominantly high school students from majority castle, but a lot of other schools as well are represented. There's a few kids in the more of the middle school, elementary age, but very few, but dominant um, high school cast. Went to my first rehearsal last night. And, okay, so people think, well, you know, you do radio, you do play-by-play. Why can't you just do this? No, because it's a totally different platform. You know, this is here on radio. I could wear boto boto clothes and I don't have to comb my hair and I'm not in front of a hundred some odd people or so or whatever the audience is in front of these big lights just shining at you and having to memorize line. I This is freewheeling. I, I have topics. I don't have a script aside from the reads that I read, but you have to just think your thoughts and articulate that so it's a different thing. For a play, there's lines you have to remember. There's timing. There's interaction with others. Not to mention, there are a bunch of high school kids that have been rehearsing since August. They know all their lines. They are people who are have had training in the performing arts, in acting, in drama, in singing. They've auditioned. They've been rehearsing since August. And so here comes, I'm the only adult, and here comes Joe, me, coming in, and suddenly you talk about feeling like you are on the lowest of the totem pole. That's where I felt like. And they're like, you know, they introduced me, you know, our kind of like our guest portraying the role of the commissioner, and they applaud, and they introduce me, you know, say where I'm from, what I do, blah, blah, blah. But I am totally like feeling like I am such on the bottom of this. And there is the pressure. This is only rehearsal. But when I heard that they've been rehearsing since August, I felt pressure. I don't have my stuff memorized. I just have a few lines and I'm nervous as heck. We did one run through with the other cast members and it's like lights on and boom, they're doing it. And they're, they're, they are very talented kids. They express they project their voice. They have expression, you know, and so forth and so on. So we did it, and I was intimidated. Then did my little scene, and then they said, okay, we're going to start from the top. You can go sit in the audience and watch. So I get to watch, and they start from the beginning, and they kind of do, I don't know what the term is, but they just run it through, and then I hear them singing. I see them, you know, the more of the acting that comes out, the emotions. Um, it was very impressive. So I encourage you, <laughs> excuse me. Hey, if you got November 10th through the 19th, check it out. I mean, these kids are very talented in the very historic Bright, uh, Ron Bright Theater at Castle High School. And for all of you OGs out there like me, if you've never done something and maybe... Some were on the lines like, hmm, I wouldn't mind doing something like that, but oh, no, I'd never do it. But if an opportunity arises, 
take the leap and try it. And at least at the end of the day, you can say you did. At the end of the day, you can say you did. Um, so at the end of the day, I might suck. I might blow my lines. Uh, my goal, by the way, the term, I learned a term, off book. That means without a script. So everyone there is off book. They've had their lines. Only me with my paper am I reading it. So talk about feeling like you are so novice. You are such a rookie and you don't belong here. You ever walked into a room and really felt, felt like you don't belong here? That was me last night. But again, I'm taking the leap. And of course, everyone's very polite saying, oh, great job. Great job. Thank you for doing this. You know, thank you for feeling, doing this role and making me feel good. But I feel like I have a standard that they set. I want to try and meet it as best as I can. And my goal is to be out. They told me that, okay, you can have you know, your script taped on the desk because I'm sitting at the desk. I don't have to walk. I mean, I'm, I'm very limited. I don't have to walk around. But um, they said, you can tape it on the desk. But you know what? There's a little bit of a pride in me that says, I'm going to go off book. I'm going to have it memorized, doggone it. And I'm going to be ready. And I'm going to compliment this cast in the best way I can and not bring it down. This is the Ron Bright Theater. This is the Castle Performing Arts Learning Center. Doggone it. And I'm not going to bring it down. Damn Yankees is the play. Again, that's my plug, guys, for all of you in the cast and the at Castle Performing Arts, uh, director Karen Meyer, musical director Darren Kimura, who, who was the one that asked me to do this, choreography by Alex Durant. Here's my plug. Here's my promo, guys. For these kids, because it ain't because you're going to watch and see me. It's because you want to watch these talented young boys and girls who are awesome. November 10th to the 19th, damn Yankees. By the way, stinking on base, uh, baseball, the World Series ended. I tried to get a friend of mine who went to the World Series, watched a game. I couldn't get in touch with them, so I couldn't bring it on for this. But I'm curious, you know, World Series, Super Bowl, um, NBA Finals, a game, some collegiate national championship, whether it's college football or men's basketball, I would say some people would say the World Cup, Olympics for me. These are some ultimate bucket, fill the bucket things that you want to do at some point in your life um, to attend, watch in person. And here is a buddy who got to see it, and I wanted to get to him. I couldn't connect, but maybe on another opportunity I will. But bucket items to catch one of those. I have not seen any of those things that I just mentioned. Well, I did was there for a brief part of a World Series, but didn't get to watch the game. But bucket items, congratulations to the Rangers. And, you know, as a Dodgers fan, my first thought was, gosh, if only Corey Seager was still with the Dodgers. Let's take another timeout. And when we come back, we will wrap things up. And I'll have a little bit of some thought related to not only UH football and women's volleyball coming up this weekend, but about Bobby Knight, who passed away a couple days ago. That's all coming up. This is Let's Talk Sports. Dave Kawada filling in ESPN Honolulu. Hey, mahalo to Domino's Hawaii for their sponsorship of Let's Talk Sports. Domino's Hawaii has made it a priority to help our community by making it more affordable to feed our families. Order online or via the Domino's app and save up to 20% off on your order or choose from a host of other deals available. Domino's Pizza Hawaii 
We deliver and also upgrade your island style with Kahala, the original Aloha shirt since 1936. Pick one up for yourself at one of Kahala's six stores island-wide or at kahala.com. Big uh, weekend for Wahine Volleyball as I'm looking at the Big West standings. So Hawaii in second, a game and a half behind UC Santa Barbara. Big weekend because guess who is one of their opponents? They got Cal Poly tonight and then UC Santa Barbara Tomorrow, so the big thing in terms of positioning as they get into the Big West Conference uh, tournament, all that kind of stuff. So big week- weekend for them. We talked about UH football, big weekend for them back in Nevada because that is where Timmy Chang was just at. Also, Thomas Sheffield, the associate head coach, came from Nevada. Matt Chan, director of operations, chief of staff, also from Nevada. So those three guys, kind of a little reunion, probably seeing some old friends and the families, and, and but, you know, they got to come away at the wind. I mean, we want to get some momentum. Road has been tough. Road games, so, you know, all of that combined, ticket quarter, what, you know, what do you say, play by play, series by series, you know, quarter by quarter, stay focused, execute, you know, you know, don't, you know, how critical is it on the very first drive, right, to get something more sustained, you know, like get a couple of first downs and move the change. All these little things we kind of take for granted, but focus, you know, drive by drive, possession by possession, offense and defense, and then quarter by quarter, and just look at it that way. I'm sure the coaches, that's what they're thinking, you know, don't, don't worry about this. And, you know, slow starts. Oh, no, you can you think about the pressure, right? You have If you have a trend that is negative, right? If you're in a slump, as a, a batter, you're in a hitting slump. Um, pitchers, fr- basketball, you're in a shooting slump. Or you are bad at free throws, and there you are back at, on the free throw line. You're shooting sub 40%, and it's the final 10 seconds. All these things where there's been a negative trend. Hawaii's had some negative trends, aside from just games, but, you know, Opening drives, quarters, first halves, these kind of things. So it looms, right? There's this cloud. And then you got to try and just get yourself off of that. So, you know, how do you break that? You know, just easier said than done. Just take it, wipe it away. It's not even there. Right. Easier said than done. So good luck to both uh, programs over the weekend. I know uh, Kanoa does this thing where at the very last segment, he does a thing called the best and worst. And usually whoever his co-hosts, each of them have a best and worst. I thought I'm going to share with you my best and worst because it all rolls up into one. One topic, one person. And it relates to the late Bobby Knight. So he just passed away a couple of days ago. And if there was any... There's a few of these type of individuals, but this is one where it was really the best and worst, if I can put it into one. The best, and you've, I encourage you, by the way, to go to ESPN.com and read an article that was written by Jay Billis. He's the current ESPN college basketball commentator, great one, attorney by trade. Paleta Duke was part of that first really successful Mike Krzyzewski class of 86 um, that he was a part of, even was an assistant coach under Mike Krzyzewski, but had a great relationship with Bob Knight, and he wrote a nice article about him and their relationship. And even he said, you know, for the longest time, he always seemed to have to justify or explain 
why, why are you friends with Bob Knight? Why do you defend? Oh, it was one of those things, right? So he's the best and worst. The best, you know, is his legacy with college basketball. You know, the nat- three national championships. He taught. You could not argue the great teacher of a game and teaching the fundamentals, the basics, stymie defense, and sticking to a system, you know, without flip-flopping and doing it a way that deemed successful for many years. He was a young head coach at Army, took over Indiana, and built that program, a basketball town, into a national power. That is the best. Even the great John Wooden said, if there was someone who can teach the game of basketball and teach it the right way in terms of team play, all that kind of stuff, he referenced Bobby Knight. Gold medal with the 84 Olympics. He was able to get a group of very talented collegians to play that way, cohesively. Smothering man-to-man defense. Put your egos on the side when you come into my gym. And that proved it. One of the best Olympic teams in history for the United States. He ran a program, and I I don't want to poo-poo this because... In an era where there's constant investigations on recruiting violations, gray areas with other things that can stem now from NIL, Michigan with sign stealing, all of that kind of stuff, never was there anything with Bob Knight in terms of how he ran his program. I always think about one of his great players was Steve Alford. (laughs) And uh, he um, posed for a picture in a fraternity, or maybe it might have been a sorority, calendar. It was a fundraiser. So I think it was a sorority at University of Indiana. This is when he's a student there. And the sorority said, you know, we want to get some good-looking guys to be on this calendar and so they can sell it and people will buy and they raise money for the sorority. So Steve Alford agreed, nice guy. Well, that was a gray area in terms of, you know, back then in the 80s related to um, – what you can and cannot do as a student athlete. So I remember watching, reading uh, the book Season on the Brink, but also watching the documentary, uh, the movie, the TV movie. But, you know, he hammered that. It was his star player. You know, so he said, you know, to basically, to the, you idiot. <laughs> How could you do that? You just, you know, created some issues there. So anyway, he did things the right way. He ran a program clean. But that's... The best, the worst, his temperament. And I always felt, no matter how good you are in your profession or whatever, you've got to respect the other people around you. And to me, he never did. He, he degraded reporters. If you weren't in line with him, he, he didn't get your respect. And I remember his interview on ESPN with Jeremy Schapp. And it's one thing to disagree with, with the line of questioning, but the comment he made to Jeremy Schapp on air that is being shown is when he said, you have a long way to get to the level of your father. I mean, those are the kind of comments. That wasn't needed. You can say right there, I don't like the way you, you asked your question or whatever you want to say, but have respect for the people around you. And to me, he never did that. So that's the best and worst. I want to thank Gerald Welch who joined us today for coming in and giving us some light, some in-depth, some insight into what is the run and shoot. Good luck to our teams going into this weekend. Wahaney Volleyball, Tiff Wells would get the call on that. Tune in to 
UH football tomorrow, starting at a.m. with countdown to kickoff and then 10 a.m. the game. And hopefully we will cross our fingers and we'll be rooting for a game and a win for the University of Hawaii. Dave Kuwata filling in. Thanks to Kanoa Lehi. We'll have him back next week. For everyone else at ESPN Honolulu, thanks for tuning. Have a great weekend, everyone. And thanks for tuning. This is Let's Talk Sports on ESPN Honolulu.